you and IOG were busy enjoying the weekend, but some people out there in our armed forces were busy on duty all weekend, keeping us safe, man. Don't they get a break though? Cause it's like Easter weekend. It's all like top gun beach volleyball in your jeans. I'm sure for everybody that they, they just put Larry out there. <laughs> yeah, draw straws. Yeah. Like, all right, Bill, uh, you guard Europe. <laughs> and, uh, Jim, you got Asia. Uh, we're going to give Africa to Claire, Australia. You guys are on your own. I guess Australia's going to be on their own today. You're good. Yeah. Australia's You're good. good. You're good. On behalf of the Stacky Benjamins crew and the men and women at Navy Federal Credit Union, just want to give a big shout out to our armed forces. OG, let's help everybody go stack some Benjamins. Let's do it. Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth shattering kaboom. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and which would you pick? Experiencing a once-in-a-lifetime event or buying your perfect house? On today's show, we welcome Sarah Miller and Nicole Holmes, hosts of the new hit Netflix series, Marriage or Mortgage, to help you weigh the pros and cons of dream weddings versus dream homes. Plus, thinking about cutting some years to get to retirement sooner? One of the easiest ways to do this is to cut housing costs. So how about moving to a school bus? One 27-year-old did just that during our headlines segment. And that's not all. Later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Adam, who's searching for the best approach to fund his retirement dream. And like that beautiful light shining like a beacon on the top of your favorite building, I'll delight you with my spectacular trivia. And now, two guys who star in a hit reality podcast, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-J-
State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. We got OG. We got Sarah and Nicole from Marriage or Mortgage. We got some headlines. So let's get today rolling. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Forbes is written by Shahar Zeev. Robinhood trader might face an $800,000 tax bill. OG. That's a bad day. Oh boy. Over 8 million people opened new brokerage accounts in the first three quarters of 2020. While the thrill of enormous stock gains may have provided a much needed distraction for some during the pandemic, Shahar writes, unintended tax consequences are now manifesting for new investors. One draw job in case a Robinhood newbie facing a potential tax bill of $800,000, despite only making $45,000 in net trading profits. Individual also earns $60,000 at his day job. This is so amazingly uh it's not funny because this sucks because this dude's gonna be paying taxes for i guess forever he made forty five thousand dollars and he owes eight hundred thousand dollars uh-huh yeah yeah it's great it's a great story keep reading you'll love it the case of the robin trader who hasn't been identified first highlighted morningstar by alexander mcqueen She describes how Brian Ruck, a financial planner, received a text from the 30-year-old investor facing an $800,000 tax bill. Like many, the investor works full-time in insurance, opened a new brokerage account in 2020, quickly scaled his trading. He had between $200,000 and $2 million in trading volume per day, completing between 10 and 50 trades daily. Boy, the insurance business, OG, must be easier than I thought it is. Pretty boring, right? Holy cow. Young man calls me and says he opened up a brokerage account with 30K transaction, $45 million in total trades for a net profit of $45,000. By the way, when you go to put all those trades in, <laughs> obviously, they I guess a lot of companies import them now, but you know, CPAs sometimes charge by how much stuff you have. Could you imagine giving your CPA a 1099 that's 250 pages long? <laughs> it's all- here you go, sir. It's all these little tra- trades. Yeah. He had $1.4 million in capital gain income and a tax bill of just over 800000 And the reason was, but we, we, we seriously need to get a drum roll. Oh, I think, I think we have one, don't we? Do we? I don't have one. Nope. No. That's we got a hey <laughs> The wash sale rule. You already used that one, but we'll go with it. Oh, sorry. There we go. And the wash sale rule, how does this work, OG? So when you buy a capital asset and it goes up in value, the IRS taxes you on the value, on the gain, when you sell it. 
right? So if you buy a stock or you buy a building or you buy, you know, a piece of art or, you know, anything that has appreciated Bitcoin, anything that's appreciated in value, the IRS wants their chunk, right? The government wants their piece of that. And to encourage long-term investing, the rates on, on gains for capital assets are lower than ordinary income rates. If it were the other way around, you know, there wouldn't be any advantage to holding stuff long-term. So, so there's a pretty big discount for, you know, for waiting, you know, to make it a long-term investment. But the IRS also offers a deduction against those gains if you have any assets that went down in value. So you buy a piece of property, a piece of land, or a stock that goes down from the time that you buy it until the time that you sell it. Then you can offset some of those other gains with some of those losses. Eh, it's pretty fair, right? The caveat is that the, that the G puts in here is if you sell something, you can't then turn around and buy that same thing or materially similar to that same thing within 30 days. Because, you know, if you're saying, hey, I, I'm going to capitalize this loss, I'm taking the money off the table, you can't then turn around and go, but I want to rebuy this p- building, or I want to rebuy this property, or I want to rebuy this stock. So you have to be out of that position for at least 30 days. And if you don't, then that, that loss doesn't count that year. It just, it's like it never happened. Uh, so he's counting all of his gains and counting all of his gains, counting very few of his losses. Well, the article goes on to say he counted zero of his losses. Oh, boy. Yeah, because he because he never, not one time did he hold a position or, or, you know, stay out of a position for more than 30 days. Never in the entire year. The next headline says free trades come at a price. Robinhood, one of the most popular investing apps in a pioneer in free trades, has captured the limelight. Of course, we talk about them about every 45 seconds here, I feel like, this last year. Uh, Jason Zweig who writes the Intelligent Investor column at the Wall Street Journal, a column that you and I mm-hmm. both like, said, technology can make investing easy and fun. It can also downplay risk in ways that may lead novices astray. Robinhood may encourage risky behaviors that could backfire. It, it now isn't just Robinhood. I, I can make free trades on my TD Ameritrade account app. So Yeah, and Schwab has stock slices where you can buy partial shares. You know, they're advertising this whole thing about like why why go spend five thousand dollars for a diversified portfolio and you can have that with fifty bucks. Yeah, while Robinhood started the trend, it feels like this big thing that everybody's on right now. Hey, here's how we capture some more trading volume. Well if you remember, I mean if you think about it a year and a half ago, it's been it's been about eighteen months since this since this really became mainstream. So it was October of 19 when Schwab came out and said, hey, we're going to go to zero commissions because they were at $4, which isn't a lot, but they but they were they, they were at four and they went to zero in October. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. It's a race to the bottom. Uh, shortly thereafter, <laughs> TD went to zero and their stock plummeted. And then Schwab went, oh, well, we should acquire you. Weird how that all worked out, but um, uh, maybe a little strategery in the uh, in the boardroom of Schwab, perhaps, but nevertheless, if you look at the order volume, you know they gave up the four dollars a, a trade commission, but in exchange got Wait whatever the multiple on volume is. Are, are you saying they flow. don't make money on any trade, but they make it up in volume? <laughs> <laughs> they don't make money on any deal, but they make it up in volume. That's exactly what they did. Yeah. So again, you know Schwab's not losing money. TD Ameritrade's not losing money. Fidelity's not losing money. Uh, because they figure out other ways to deal with it. Now, Robinhood, of course, has got some notoriety around this order flow issue and you know where they sell it and how bad a price you get because 
you know, generally smaller investors are, are using their services and aren't likely to notice or complain. You know, you don't see a lot of hedge fund managers going, I did 60 billion in trades last quarter with Robinhood. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they, uh, they're going to stick to the bigger ones, but you know, they still make money doing that. All those companies do. So, but this is another great example of, you gotta, you gotta know what game you're playing. You gotta know what game you're playing. If, if you think you're playing one game and it's too easy, I mean, this guy probably at the end of the year was high five and he was probably all over Reddit. Like, guys, check this out. I made, I put 30 grand in, I made 75 or turned it into 75. I'm awesome. This is great. And the government was like, yeah, you are. You're unbelievably awesome. Cool. So where do we get our 800,000 from? And I, I'll be curious to see how this, how this ends. Uh, probably never know, but I don't think that there'll be a lot of grace given. I don't think the IRS is like, yeah, oh, you didn't know that? Hmm, that's too bad. All right. Well, we'll just we'll call it even this year. Just don't do it again. And you work in financial services? Well, you know, could be a specialist in something in insurance, maybe not sure. client facing. Right. Yeah. I made this same mistake in my own sandbox portfolio just recently. Generally, as as you know, I will talk over a trade forever with you. I'll I'll uh, research the hell out of the fundamentals on and a trade. And then you go big with like one or two shares, which I is do. just really quite amazing. <laughs> I'm like, dude, so how many shares did you buy? I mean, you've been talking about this for like three months. You're like, oh, yeah, I bought two. I went in with two. <laughs> two I what? I totally do. I totally do. But I I agonized all day over trades of General Motors recently bought into GM. I bought Lemonade when that stock went down. And once again, you know how much money I put into Lemonade? I bought eight shares. So Your high you conviction go. idea? And I actually started off with five shares and I added three more to my position later on to show how convic- how much conviction I had in that area. But then I added to my little sandbox portfolio, a stock that, that Michael Burry owns. Cause I read that he owns it. And I very stupidly went to my computer and just bought it. I'm like, Oh, Michael Burry owns this. Let's, owns let's it. just go buy some. Yeah. I had some cash burning a hole in my TD Ameritrade account, went and bought it right away. And I'll tell you the problem. Now, this is the problem I have now. Not only did I do very little research, on this company to see exactly why Michael Burry owned it. Now it's in my portfolio and I don't know where it fits. And it drives me crazy every day. Like every day I open up this little sandbox account and I go, why the hell do I own this? Like, like what's my exit point? Why, what's the strategy? How does this fit? And uh, yeah, you got to know that to your, to your point, you got to know the game you're playing. I have no idea. I know I know what the game is in my other sandbox stocks, and it is a very small game. Hey, time for our favorite new segment of the show. It's our TikTok Minute OG, where we find all the best advice on TikTok and we profile it. And if you don't think that that's uh, sarcasm there, you're on the wrong show because we're going to profile something pretty bad. Now, th- Today's was highlighted on TikTok, but this doesn't actually come from TikTok just to prove that you can also get bad advice from the news. It's a little bit of a long clip. It's going to be 45 seconds, but you got to hear the whole clip and you got to wait for it, guys. So don't tune out. Follow this thing to the end because this is fantastic. 
And Amazon is now worth more than the nation's biggest retailer. The online store is currently valued at $264 billion. At last check, Walmart was valued at $234 billion. And the bump for Amazon came after it reported an unexpected boost in sales in its second quarter. Amazon earned $92 million last quarter. That's a 20% jump in sales compared to the prior year. You know why? Because they sell sex toys, and Walmart can't or won't sell sex toys. Amazon does. A friend of mine works in the uh, warehouse. He says they sell a ton of them. Yeah. I'm just telling you how it is. They're trying to eat breakfast. Well, yeah, but nobody else will tell you this, but that's the reason. Okay. That's the reason. They sell sex toys at Amazon, and they don't sell sex toys at Walmart. That's why they're worth more. I think she also said that they sold $92 million for the quarter. I've, I've, I've feel like she was off. Number might be uh, very well. Might have, might have had that wrong. Either way. You can't. Uh, I can't, I can't can't disagree with that sentiment. The the boxes that show up in our house. uh, I mean, there's stuff you you don't even know exists in this universe. You're like, whoa, what does that do? What do you expect her to do, dude? She's married to you. Who said they're her Mrs. Ochi? Touche. Unless you get our stacker guide, you cannot see the look on this woman's face. Ochi. But the whole time he's talking to her, he's, he's turned and he's talking directly to her as she's staring at the camera, trying not to look at him and clearly disgusted that he's even uh, so you still talking a, about still that. still employed at the news place there? I have, I have no idea. I just have the clip. He's not wrong. I mean, it's facts. <laughs> Hashtag facts. Our second headline... Back to where it comes to us from the money blog at yahoo.com. This is written by Jana Heron. Cut 40 years out. 27-year-old converts a school bus into a home to live out his retirement dream. Just before the coronavirus pandemic struck, Craig Gordnier, a former member of the U.S. Coast Guard, was about to close on a business deal in California that was two years in the making. But the health crisis sank his dream and sent him packing back to his parents' house in Massachusetts. I was all in on this business deal that did not go through, the 27-year-old said, who in April of last year sat on his parents' couch polishing his resume and applying for jobs. You know that defeated feeling? It gave me a chance to reassess. What do I actually want to do? Gordnier's original life plan looked like this. Get a job, save some money in a 401k, turn 65, retire, and see the world in an RV. So I was like, I'm just going to cut 40 years out of this plan, he said. So he had a $40,000 budget. He went, he bought a bus. You should see how beautiful this bus is, by the way. Oh, gee, it is. uh, He completely gutted it, rewired it, and uh, he's got this beautiful, beautiful bus he travels around in and lives in. We just built our way out toward the front of the bus everything just however it fit. We really just puzzle piece the whole thing together. I had no idea what I, what I was doing. And it really sounds, sounds like fun. These pictures of him fixing up the bus, but you know, just a couple, a couple of questions here, because on one hand, I love this, right? 27 years old, forget the nine to five OG, forget this path that so many people are on, go find a different path. But the other side of me hopes that he's also putting some money away for that day that he doesn't want to live in an RV. Yeah, I think the good thing here is that from a housing cost standpoint, which is generally a really large percentage of somebody's budget, you know, he's kind of cut that number way, 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 way down, obviously. 
which is fantastic. That's great now, but what, what you know, like you said, what do you do when you want to start a family, or what do you do when you've gone to all the national parks, you know, or whatever, whatever your thing is, or you have a job where your boss is like, dude, you have to come to the office. We need you here for work. That will eventually come. So, I love the idea that taking the time and the flexibility. We've we've mentioned on the show before that we we thought about doing one of those like live away from home things for a couple of years, you know, during the, during the COVID thing, because uh, different countries were allowing you to do it and kind of a one time, you know, you can get in, but you can't get out type of deal and choose, choose your Island carefully. You may end up in a good one or not a good one. And the kids were virtual in school anyway. And it's like, you know, when, when else are we going to have this opportunity? We didn't do it for a lot of reasons, but it did cross our mind. So I am a little bit jealous of the people that said, yeah, deck with it. I'm going to, I go do this thing and see how it goes. And, and obviously it's worked out well, but, but just like our uh, Robin hood stock trade, you have to have, you have to have the next thing too. You have to be thinking about what the end game is probably not going to live in a school bus for the rest of your life. So use this as an opportunity to be like just banking money like crazy. I wonder how much of this is short-term dissatisfaction right? Just had this hugely, I mean, this guy spent two years working on this business deal and it fell through. And and then he's back at his parents' house. He's 27. You're feeling 30 coming up. Like I remember this age, you're feeling 30 coming up. You feel like you're still at square one. You're like, screw it. I'm going to go a different route. I mean, how much of that is short-term reaction versus really long-term thought process also? And and And, and frankly, I don't know. I don't know the answer. This could be yeah. long-term thought process, but I think I've, you and I both have had clients come into our offices and go, yeah, I want to change everything. I just want to, you know what? I'm sick of it. I want to change everything. I just want to do something different because- When can I leave? And it just- Basically what Doug does every it's just week. This, <laughs> that's right. It's this feeling you're having today and not this long-term thing that you think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, I'm all for- doing stuff. You know, one of one of the things that that drives me crazy is indecisiveness because I think it'd be better to just start walking in the direction and then find out you're going in the wrong way and just have to turn around and go somewhere else than to stand still. You know, that's kind of my f- philosophy on it, but but you also have to balance that with you can't just be jerking the wheel all over either. So, you know, we haven't really talked a lot on the show about we've talked kind of offhand about what happened with me this last summer, this last year. But to your point of not jerking the wheel and learning and figuring out what's going on. So Cheryl realized that uh, in Michigan, that her career, which she loves, the job she was at was not going the way that she had hoped. And so decided she needed to make a change and was going to look at this opportunity that was six months living in a small town in Arizona we'd be there for six months. And then I got a house in Bali for a month <laughs> because I thought this will be cool. And I actually told Cheryl, cause originally she said, here's what we'll do. I'll take this job. They give me free lodging and a car and I will just fly home or you can fly, you can fly to Arizona every month. I'm like, how bad does that stink? Right. We own mm-hmm. a house in Michigan. We're flying back and forth every five days. That just does not sound good. And then I did something because we've been doing this, you and I for a decade that I wouldn't have considered a decade ago and said, you know what, why don't we do this crazy thing? Let's just sell everything. I don't need to live here. I, I love living there. I don't need to live here. I can live wherever. If we have our 
house paid for and our car paid for, and I've got a good internet connection, I can do the podcast from anywhere. You can do the thing that you love in different places. We also love to travel. Let's try it out. So we sell the house during COVID. We have an estate sale. And by the way, the bad news about our estate sale was our estate sale because of COVID happened on the first day it was allowed in Michigan. And that was only a week before we had to be out of the house. So we ended up keeping more stuff than we actually wanted to. But the bad news was we kept the stuff that was dear to us, small things, mostly art, photographs, a few of our books, a couple pieces of furniture went in Cheryl's mom's basement. But then we kept a bunch of stuff that didn't sell at the estate sale because Salvation Army and other charities weren't open yet for donations. Right. So we had to keep it all. So we've got these two horns of things. And uh, the day we were leaving, as you know, OG, Cheryl got a call from Arizona saying there is no job. Job's gone. You're, you're on your way. The car's packed. You're ready to go. The car was packed. We were completely on our way there and uh, had had nowhere to go. So then we we lived all over the place. We lived in Vermont. We lived in Palm Springs. We lived at your house for a couple weeks. You did. That's right. Drank we all my lived, beer. <laughs> we, 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 we were the, the great pet babysitter for people. We lived in Ohio. We lived uh, in Lansing, Michigan. We lived all over the place. But during that time, you know what I learned? You don't like that? I don't love that as much as I thought I was going to. Yeah. I love traveling. I do not like being a nomad. I do not like it. And Cheryl also learned that she, while she loves her career, this idea of six months in a different town for the type of career that she has doesn't work as well as we thought. It, we thought that was a big opportunity open to a lot of people. It wasn't. But I guess my point is, had we not tried it, had we not gotten out there and done it, we would have never known. So this guy's getting a great opportunity to try something out. But I still do hope he knows that his mind might change in the future like mine did. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty powerful stuff when you decide, you know what, I'm going to go a different route. And what's interesting to me also, OG, was that he was in the Coast Guard and at Navy Federal Credit Union, they don't just serve the Navy. You like how I did that? They also serve the Army, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, Air Force, and even the Space Force. So no matter where you're at in your military career, they offer the products and resources to help you navigate your finances. I love looking at all of the different resources at Navy Federal. They also have the Navy Federal More Rewards American Express card that offers three times points at supermarkets, food delivery, and gas plus one point on everything else. You can enjoy special perks and points you can redeem for cash, travel, gift cards, and more. Plus, earn bonus points. Learn more about how you can get 25,000 points at $250 value when you open a Navy Federal More Rewards American Express card today. Only open that, of course, if you pay your credit cards off every month. And if you're somebody who's not doing that, Navy Federal has lots of resources to help you get your act together. So if you want to play the reward point game, you can do that. Visit NavyFederal.org for more details and how to apply. Insured by NCUA, American Express is a registered service mark of American Express used by Navy Federal under license. I think our takeaways here, OG, are number one, the bus is great. Living in a bus, giving yourself flexibility to change it up again later, I think is super important. Don't get locked into that lifestyle because you might not, might not like it. And then our other takeaway, 
besides the fact that Amazon sells sex toys is, is if you're doing individual trading, got to understand to quote you, man, the game you're playing, understand the game you're playing. Our next guests are just amazing forces of nature. Uh, Sarah Miller is a wedding planner, fell in love with weddings after planning her own. She has this amazing knack in working with couples on helping them have a better first day of their life together. Nicole Holmes, also, by the way, a, a force of nature. She'll tell you the most romantic thing a couple can do purchase a home where they can start a life together. So you got these two big things. You got a big wedding. You got your first house purchase. What's going to win? That's the topic of a new Netflix show called Marriage or Mortgage. Let's hear all about it. Say hi to Sarah Miller and Nicole Holmes. I'm my dad, Shortwave Radio. It's my new friend, Sarah Nicole. How are you two? We're good. We are well. Thank you so much for having us. Well, yeah, con- we're excited. Congratulations on a great show. I have to say, I've I've spent the last uh, couple weeks with you binging the entire season, and I and I had nice. to have a well, I had to have a couple sessions. There were a couple times when I went, no, I'm not crying. You're crying. Somebody else is crying. It totally, it got kind of dusty in the room and I had to, had to clear yeah. my eyes, but let's, let's, Allergies. that's right. Yeah. Let's talk about you two coming together to start off with, uh, Sarah, how did you and Nicole meet? So it's actually a really funny story. We love telling it just because Nicole and I never really ever spoke before the idea of the show kind of came along. We knew each other in passing just because she has some really good friends that live in my neighborhood and we have kids around the same ages. So we would see each other, you know, birthday parties, social gatherings, all that kind of stuff. And long story short, the show casted both of us individually. And when they actually wanted us to come together to do a quick little like Zoom interview to see how we work together, uh, Nicole found out that I was actually planning her best friend's wedding at the time. <laughs> Had no clue. So it yeah, was, and it blew like, my mind. It was crazy. Like my phone basically rang when we were on, on the Zoom meeting and it, it showed up as her friend's name. And she was like, why is she calling you? You know, like what in the world? And then we, we figured it out. And since then, here we are today. I was getting jealous. I was like, she's my best friend. Why is she cheating on me? Why is she calling Sarah? But but I find that I find that a little bit hard to believe, Sarah, because when I see you two together, I think and and Nicole ask you about this. You guys seem to have this instant chemistry and you seem to, you know, sometimes you fight like these long lost sisters. Right. But in a really in a really good way. Did you did you feel that chemistry, too? Or is that all TV? No, definitely not. Yeah, that's immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Immediately. There's a kinship there. Sarah and I differ on a lot of, we have a lot of different opinions, but I love and respect her and what she does. I understand the need for wedding planners. I just don't agree with the kinds of money that they spend on the things, but that's neither here nor there. I still love the girl. She's still great at what she does and all the respect in the world to her. Yeah. And ditto back to Nicole. I think it's, again, it's a friendship we 
We are women supporting women. We love what each other does. And again, this is just, it's all fun and games and, you know, just kind of, it's, it's reality TV trying to make sure people it's dream fulfillment, you know, like we are trying to get these couples to really expand what they come to us on and not just like try to win, but also try to fit what's right in their life at the time, you know? Yeah, it, but it, also I want to win. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and and Sarah, actually, I want to stick with you because y- you hear this all the time. What Nicole is referring to, and it's funny. Even when I told friends that I was going to be talking to you two today, everybody says, and you know, and I'm a finance geek, right? Don't waste money on a wedding. Spend your money putting in roots and building equity in a house. You must hear that when you're planning weddings for people. You know, in some of these budgets that I, I saw this season, 25000 35000 40000 some of these people are spending serious money on a one-night party. Yeah, I mean, I definitely get a lot of flack for it. I will say that. But listen, I mean, weddings have been along for God knows how long, you know. So is home buying. Houses come and go. Weddings should be really one and done. I know Nicole's going to jump in on that one, but... It really yeah. is supposed to be the start to a good foundation. And I am just, again, more of a traditionalist. I believe in that. And I believe it working hard for the next chapters in your life. I mean, my husband and I did it. We got married and had the opportunity to take that money and put it down on a house or whatever we wanted to do. And we chose the wedding. And to this day, it's something that it's a lifetime of memories and experience that we never would ever forget. Our friends and our family were gathered together that honestly, since that day, we have not had that party of all of our friends and our family yet back together. So again, I think it's just something that depending upon where you are in your life and what you can afford and not going out of your means, it's just case by case. Well, and a question on the other side of that then to you, Nicole, is that, you know, finance geeks, we talk out of both sides of our mouth, right? We say on one hand, put down roots, build equity. But on the other, we always say buy experiences. The stuff Sarah is peddling by experiences, not things, because you remember the experiences. And there was an organizational expert I know who said that experiences appreciate over things depreciate experiences get romanticized. And you remember how great they were. What do you say to that? I'm saying I'm so glad that Sarah didn't think of that during the show or she'd have said exactly that. That's a really good point. That's probably the best way I've ever heard it explained. Um, she's still going to use that. She's going to use that if there's a season two. Um, just say Joe said. So, just make sure you say Joe said. Yeah, Joe, yeah, exactly. Right. Give you all the credit. Um, so I see where you're coming from. And I have, if anybody knows me personally, they know that I have no trouble spending money on myself at all. In fact, my first wedding, and yes, there have been two, the first wedding was a big bash. It was a blowout. It was, you know, I'm not even teasing when I say we had a trumpeter introduce us into the reception, uh, harpist. I mean, I had an opera singer singing the Lord's Prayer, a custom dress, like the whole nine yards, right? All that to say, I was extremely fortunate in that I didn't have to make that decision one or the other. Although my dad did give me the option. He's like, would you like to take this big chunk of money and put it down on a house or have two matching luxury cars in the driveway? And I'm like, no, daddy, I have to have my day. I've waited 30 years. I mean, please, if I could go back now and punch that girl right in the nose, I so would. Because the marriage lasted six years. Okay. So now you're amateurizing how much that we spent over six years time. And I, I remember going to my dad the day the divorce was finaled and I said, I'm really sorry that this cost you X amount of dollars per year. Like, I so thought this was forever. And he just hugged me and he's like, honey, we all did. Nobody thought, nobody gets married to think that they're going to get divorced. All right. So my dad's an angel and a saint and fabulous. 
So then the second time I got married also didn't work out. However, I wasn't out so much money because we went to the courthouse. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm learning. I'm learning slowly. And I just want to impart my wisdom on anybody else who's listening that had I had to do it over, I would say do as I say and not as I did, because I realize now that that was a whole lot of money to spend. And of course, that's easier to say because I've had so many different experiences now and being in real estate and watching it appreciate at the rapid rate that it has in Middle Tennessee and Nashville specifically. Like, what an idiot that I didn't put money down on a house back then. Oh, my gosh. So stupid. <laughs> I want to I ask you both about your expertise. And I thought it'd be fun because we definitely want people to watch the whole season if we just dove into some of the problems in episode one. So as people are watching episode one, they can remember this interview or even pause the interview, go watch it and come back. But to kick off that conversation, let's hear just a quick trailer from the show. We want a house. I mean, that's the smart decision to make. But Evan, you can just say, just I, say, no just I let want, it I want our wedding to be the best wedding of all the ones that we've been to. We want to start a family soon. We need more space. If we buy a house, it could be years before we can afford the wedding we've always wanted. We could do both. No, we can't. That's where we come in. And, oh, and that's yeah. true. All these people can't afford both. They have to choose one or the other. So you, you two are helping them. This first couple that you meet with, they're explaining to you in the office that they have $35,000 to spend. And Nicole, we'll start with you. They're giving you all their requirements for a house. They want a three bedroom, three bathroom house. They want a big yard for their fun dog that they bring with them to every meeting. Franklin. Uh, yeah, Franklin. That's right. Uh, bring Franklin to every meeting. But I'm looking at the look on your face as people are explaining to you, I want all these things. I want the huge walk-in class. I want all this stuff. And the look on your face, and I know you're trying to hide it, is I don't know that you can get all that with what you want. Is that really what you were thinking? Uh, Hell yes, she was. I'm thinking, yes, I'm thinking you just described a unicorn. And if I could find all of those things between two and three hundred thousand dollars in the downtown Nashville core, so it's close to his work. Yeah, I want to build those places and sell those places because they would go all day long. It's part of my job just to manage expectations. That's not uncommon. People come to you with all their hopes and dreams. And that's what I ask for. Honestly, like I want to hear what is your biggest and best? What's the grandiose? What do you want? And then I hear the budget. I'm like, okay, we're going to have to go back a little bit. <laughs> so I thought we did a pretty fine job of showing them some decent houses in those price ranges, but there's always going to have to be a little bit, there's no such thing as a perfect house. You know, if they want that size of a home, he's going to have to drive maybe 20 extra minutes to work. Or if they want that size of yard, maybe it's going to be, you know, in West Nashville when they were thinking about maybe being south of Nashville or something like that. I think it's a good takeaway for people that there's got to be some give and take. Like there's got to be some, right, yeah. some like you're not going to get every, I mean, how many times have you found somebody all that if they've got a wish list that long found everything? Well, I mean, that does happen. And then they still will find a reason not to. <laughs> Not to pull the trigger. Yes. So if there's all kinds of personalities, just because they tell you that's what they want and you find it, doesn't mean they're going to go through with it. Because I think there are several homes where I hit pretty much all the marks and they still chose wedding. So 
it is what it is. You have, you have with this couple specifically, you mentioned during the episode that some people you show them two or three houses, other people you'll show them hundreds. And the woman that you're working with even says she has trouble making up her mind, right? That she, that, that, that yep. that's an issue that she has. Do you think part of that issue can be solved for our listeners if they're working with a real estate professional, like doing some homework ahead of time before I have my real estate professionals show me 50 million houses? Or is that just part of who we are? Um, yes and yes. So it's good for the client, for my clients to already know what they can afford. And if they will dabble and look what's for sale in those price ranges, they'll probably quickly see that they're not going to get the aesthetics that they think they're going to get for that price range. And that's specific to this show too, right? I mean, I wish that these people had $500,000 budgets. That would be amazing. I could show them all the real estate porn and it would be beautiful and you know, great TV, but that's not the case. So we're working on a budget here and um, they need to know what they can afford. They need to set their expectations, find out what's the most important thing. If the most important thing is the school systems, then we're only going to look in those areas. If the most important thing is you've got to have a big yard because you've got the 2.5 kids, then by golly, that's what we're going to look at. So we, I just have to manage the expectations and what they want versus the dream in their head, like the yeah. unicorn that's going tro- trolloping around in their head. <laughs> that's the <just> perfect <laughs> house on the perfect lot, you know, 10 seconds from work, all that good stuff. So it's all part of it. And you know what? By the way, 300 is an, ex- an exaggeration. I would never show, a cl- I would shove that client on someone else if I had to show someone 300 houses. But um, I mean, 30 is not uncommon. Like sure. there are people that can't make up their mind that have lived for a year and you've shown them 30 to 50 houses, right? So that is probably a little bit on me and a little bit on them. Okay. I'm a big believer that everybody's time is worth money. And the last thing I want to do is waste their time looking at homes that aren't going to interest them. So after generally one or two visits out looking at homes, I can gauge what they're going to like and not like. So it's as much psychology and reading people. Um, even if they're not saying it as it is, you know, hearing the words coming out of their mouth and what, what they want. Sarah, similarly with you, I look at this couple, they have a $30,000 wedding budget, which for me is this huge amount of money, but you really also focus on those things I noticed that are most important to them. How much of this is about moments uh, when it comes to that perfect wedding? Well, I mean, listen, I mean, we take our clients and we meet with them and get the utopia of what they want for their wedding. You know, like Nicole said too, we do the same exact strategy. It's like, I don't want you to come in and tell me the low point, tell me everything you want. And then we're going to hit those most important factors that mean something emotionally or whatever it does in their relationship and hit those hard. I mean, I talk about smart money and dumb money in every setting. Put the money where you want it. Like if food and ambiance is the most important thing, then that's what we're going to focus on. And you're going to scale back in other areas. That goes honestly with every single planning experience. Because again, we're on a budget. If they didn't have budgets for the show, then, you know, we could plan endlessly and do whatever we wanted to do. But that's not really how it is in the wedding planning world. That's how we start everything is taking a client's dreams and the most important parts of it and then showing those. And you can see that on the show. Like when they came to us in those meetings, if 
a carriage ride and an exit was very important or finding the perfect wedding dress or, you know, an experience of like a donut wall, whatever it was, we just try to amplify that where it kind of made it real for them. I, I found with this first couple, you helped them afford a, uh, a food truck yeah. uh, later on by cutting back in other areas. I thought that was really neat by looking at what they thought that they wanted and maximizing those areas. It was great. Is there any place that's like dumb money in a wedding? Is there a place where people say they're going to spend money and you roll your eyes? Honestly, no, because I really do think it's just per couple of what's important to them. Because again, I would hate for something to say, I would never say anything I honestly is ever dumb. It's just dumb money, maybe in their own eyes. That's not important. I think everything is important in a wedding. It just, again, it, it depends upon the couple. Are there though some key pillars when you're planning a wedding that you make sure are there every time to make sure it's a special night? Yeah, I think the ambiance and the overall feel of a wedding is very, very important. You know, again, it, it kind of showcases your clients. It just, it gives your guests an overall feel. So a lot of stuff, a lot of the time, excuse me, that when I speak with my clients, again, getting their hopes and dreams, but also creating this special moment that everybody wants to be a part of and will never forget. Uh, back to you, Nicole, you stage these houses so people can see exactly what they're getting into. You stage the backyard for Franklin, the dog to show what the backyard experience yeah. is going to be like. How important is it for the average person, not on a TV show, but to stage their house if you're going to sell it? When I think of staging a home, I think of it like as the owners have completely moved out and there's not anything in it. So that's one way to stage it. Another one is just to get it ready to sell. And that's decluttering. But I'll start with the first, my first thought. If you don't have any furniture in this house, whether it's new construction, you're trying to sell it, or you've already moved and you're selling this house, it is important to have a stager come in, not in every single room, but maybe just the important rooms, maybe stage a kitchen and a living room or whatever you think is going to be the most attractive to those buyers in your area. Because so often now the big open spaces that what the houses are so open living room open kitchen floor plans big open floor plans it's great to delineate the spaces so people can walk in and some people have no forethought can't figure it out like aren't spatially aware and that's not through any fault of their own it's just not their business right mm -hmm. so if you have a stager come in delineate those areas so this is, could be a game room for the kiddos this is where mom can go and read a book or this just let them envision themselves in that space and then if you're already living in it and you're currently living in it while people are coming in and out during the showing just please declutter <laughs> now i like to leave a few family mementos but too many is overkill it's okay to let people know that you've got kids because they're going to see the bedrooms. They're going to know. Sure. They don't have to know your grand Edna's dog's sister was in the family photograph from the 1800s. You don't have to have all of every family photograph you've ever taken on the walls. Okay. So it's good to personalize it by having a few personal touches in there, family touches, but overall just declutter and make things look clean and shiny and new. Along with decluttering, it's important to clean clean the windows inside and out, then clean the carpet. Like we have a saying in the real estate world, if it smells, it won't sell. Oh. So yeah, it has to have a fresh, clean scent. Yeah. Use oh. a little Febreze. Oh my God. Yeah. Or a lot. Or a lot. <laughs> just, just pour the bottle. 
Sarah, I want to ask a little bit about the making of the show because you and Nicole are constantly undercutting each other by, by doing these very special things for couples. I was watching and I'm trying to stay at the beginning of the season, but in episode two, you had this monogrammed, I don't remember what it was, but it had her dad's name on it. And she immediately, the the woman and I together started crying. That's what happened, Sarah. Yes. The handkerchief. Yes. Yes. We both did. But, but on her side, then Nicole, Nicole then had it stages a room to be the adopted baby's room. So you're slugging it out. Both of you. Do you get surprised when you see the reactions that people have to these things that you guys are doing for them? And then my second question is, do you come up with those yourself, both of you, or do you have help from the production team coming up with those ideas? We do everything on our own. Again, it's about, we meet these couples first and foremost, just like you see on the show. So we really are trying to dig deep to get to know them. And a lot of stuff comes out through other meetings um, that you see too, that we learn about. But yeah, I think both of us trying to expand wherever we can to win, to make things come to reality and make things seem important to them of why choosing a wedding or house is so um, important to them at the stage of their life. So no, but I mean, Nicole and I definitely hit hard in some areas. <laughs> how much, how much time with them, how much time with them, Sarah, ends up on the cutting room floor? So our first meeting in the home, just like you saw, I mean, of course there's snippets of it. We sat down for probably an hour and a half, two hours with them getting to know, you know, a lot of information from the house side to the wedding side, Okay, but they showcased, you know, the most important parts that were, that you see us kind of take them out on and what was um, relevant for what they really wanted. But then, and then Nicole got to spend a day, maybe a few other days with them because house buying and house hunting is not as easy as it is to, you know, set up appointments with the wedding side. So I had a full day with them where we would go from early, early, early in the morning till late at night. Uh, That can be a long day. Yeah, and it was fun. Yeah, I mean, she, I have, we have fun on our meetings. She with alcohol. Have you not seen those, all those episodes where all she does is get them drunk? I, did I that, can't do that. I did have to ask you about that, Sarah. Seems like you're getting people drunk a lot. <laughs> it has to do with wedding planning. Alcohol is always involved. That's not a bad thing. It's just... You know, well, I love the, I love the couple in episode two, where you're making their special drink, their Elvis drink. I thought that was really fun. And it does add something, it adds something really cool to the wedding though. You got your own special little drink and that's not going to be the last time they have it. They'll, you know, serve it the rest of their lives together. I thought that was, that was pretty neat. Um, That was a fun experience with them. They're, they crack me up. They're such a good couple. But that leads me to something else too, which the woman in the first episode, we talked about how she has trouble making decisions. And on a lot of people, Sarah, you see decision-making fatigue because it's one thing to say yes or no to a house. That's one big, huge decision. You've got lots of micro decisions. How do you fight people through or help them through all this decision fatigue? They got to get planning a wedding. It's so funny that you say that because I actually had a bride write me yesterday and she was like, Mama, after I had sent her everything all done, she's like, I didn't realize how much it took and how, how many little decisions there are from a fork to a knife to a spoon. You know, it's like all these little tiny things. But I, again, I think like hiring a professional and having a wedding planner help you make those decisions where they're not so overwhelming and narrowing things down for you and leading you in the right direction in the forefront and not, you know, having you so overwhelmed where you're picking out. 15 million things. Cause it really is a lot. And it takes a lot to plan a perfect day. But I think again, just having somebody kind of guide you in those right directions helps a ton. Uh, last question for both of you. What was the most surprising thing making season one? Nicole, we'll start with you. Every time they chose wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Because I 
I can't believe anybody would actually choose a wedding over a house. Are you kidding me? I should have said besides the obvious one, what was surprising? There we go. I honestly, I think just how much fun, how much fun we had doing all of it. I mean, there were some really long days, but with the crew and with Sarah, it was just always so much fun. And I would jump in with both feet for season two. If we are blessed enough to be offered a season two, I'm totally in. Uh, that's three of us, Nicole. I'll, I'd be in two. Uh, uh, Sarah, you've got the last word. What's the, what was most surprising for you? I mean, I think the same thing, to be honest with you, I think we both came into this. I mean, I don't have any type of background in television or acting or any of that. So I had a little bit more nerves coming into filming and just having cameras around. You know, it's something I do on a day-to-day basis is planning weddings, but throwing 10 cameras in your face and a whole production crew and all of that, it's just a little bit different. But I felt so comfortable the entire time just because of the crew and Nicole. And it's just, again, we laughed our way through the entire day. I'm dying to see like a bloopers reel of like all of the funny stuff that comes out because it was wild. Half the things that we did every single day, just, I mean, our cheeks were hurting. That's awesome. Yeah. If you've got a job where you're doing what you love and you get to laugh all day, like the three of us do, I mean, I'll take that job any day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So blessed. Yeah. Huge, huge blessing. Well, Nicole, Sarah, congratulations on a great first season. Give our fingers crossed for season two. Thanks for spending a few minutes talking about marriage and mortgages with us. I appreciate it. Thank you Anytime. so much. For hey, trivia fans and all this talk about TV shows. I can't help but think that the world needs to see how the sausage gets made here at SB Industries. You know, maybe flash a quick look at all the drama behind the scenes with their favorite guy in showbiz, yours truly, of course, and those other two nimrods will probably show up in the background because I can't keep them away. But before Sarah and Nicole leave, I should put some footage together so they can show it to the folks over at Netflix. I'm going to get to today's trivia. We'll just get this over with so I can get on to the really important stuff. Since we're talking about marriage today, what are the most and least expensive states to get married in? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can tie the knot. Which, if it's anything like number three for me, I mean, it's minutes. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... 
Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Hey, stackers. During the break, I got some amazing behind-the-scenes footage that should work great for our pitch to Netflix for our new Stacking Benjamins-themed show. Check it out. Uh, Hey, stackers. So I'm walking over to Joe's mom's house to record the the best segment of the show. I generally walk out on the street like I am today. But, you know, every once in a while, I'll use the sidewalk. Sidewalk's a good route, I suppose. But... There was that one time I cut through the trees over there, right? No, over there, right between the houses. No, oh, man, that, that was a big, that was a doozy. We're probably going to have to save that one for season two. Hey, hey, kid, kid, put that stick down. Don't, don't do, don't do it. Don't you dare hit that car. Don't you, don't, oh, no, you didn't. Kid, I'm going to tell your mom on you. That is a classic El Camino you just hit. Ah. See? Isn't that riveting? Can you imagine hours and hours and even more hours of footage almost as good as that? Sit me right next to Martin Scorsese at the Oscars, please. Before I get back to editing the footage of clipping my toenails, let's get you today's trivia answer. Question was, what are the most and least expensive states to get married in? The average cost of a wedding in the U.S. is $33,000, with the least expensive state being UT, UT, oh, Utah uh, at $19,700. Wow, let's go get married in Utah. The most expensive state? Well, that would be New Jersey, cha-chinging to the tune of $53,400 per wedding. Now, those are some expensive weddings. It's time for me to get back to my docu-series. See ya! I didn't ask Sarah or Nicole about that. About uh, maybe not doing your wedding in Nashville, doing it to Utah. Hey, Sarah, how come you never have that as a strategy for couples? Just move it to Utah because they're like 19 grand. And then Nicole gets the rest. You'll have your down payment and no time. No, uh-uh. you can get both. No, that wouldn't be a wouldn't be a good TV program. Oh, we're going to do both, Sarah. We decided, Nicole. We uh, we're going to do do it all. Uh, big thanks to Sarah Nicole for for stopping by. It is an interesting dichotomy. We talk about experiences, right? Spend money on experiences, and yet when it comes to weddings, at least in the crowd that I hang out with, I even brought this up just before you and I recorded this episode with friends of ours, they had an hour long discussion about quote, wasting money on a, on a wedding. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of excess in that. Don't you think? A little fluff. Yeah. But if you're creating that one great experience, don't get me wrong. If you're spending a ton of money on nothing, and certainly I did some high priced weddings back when I was paying my way through college, disc jockeying, disc jockeying wedding receptions. I did some weddings that were very generic, but over the top expensive. Yeah. I think, I think ours was probably a little too much, you know, 20 years ago. 
I thought ours was, well, you know, I had seen quite a few uh, weddings, so ours was pretty, uh, ours was pretty middle of the road, but also we did some quirky stuff that us, that nobody else would have done. As an example, Cheryl and I met as track coaches and we invited our teams to come to the reception. People like, uh, you were middle school track coaches and at your wedding reception, you had a bunch of middle schoolers. That sounds like hell. <laughs> we didn't have them for the dinner, but before we cut the cake and had dessert and before the DJ started, that's when the middle schooler showed up. So the first, the first part was kind of small and elegant, and then it was flooded with kids and it was a blast. But once again, a blast for us. I don't think it would have been a blast for a lot of people. Oddly, that's also when all of your aunts and uncles left, which probably was a win-win. It was, it, that was part of the strategy too. It all yeah. went hand in hand. Yes. I also can't get over uh, the importance of staging your house. I can't tell you looking at houses here as you know, we just moved into this beautiful house that we're renovating right now. But the houses we walked in where you're like, did you guys think that people were coming to look at this? Did you think for a second? I have a friend of mine who's a realtor and he, uh, he had a good deal on a rental property. And so he said, Hey, uh, I've got this opportunity if you're interested. And I hemmed and hawed on it. He came back, to, uh, you know, I came back to him. I said, all right, I'll do it. And he said, he said, well, it's kind of too late. Another offer came in. I said, all right, that's fine. You know, no big deal. But then he calls me a couple of days later. He's like, so we went and did the inspection and it's pretty clear that these, the renters who live there, uh, and he's going on and on and on about how slop, uh, you know, it was just, just trashed the whole house, not structurally, but just it yeah. looked like crap. And he's, and he goes, anyway, so the guy backed out. What do you think? And I'm like, well, you did a hell of a job selling it to me. <laughs> I walked into a house where I felt like people just moved their clutter off to the side so that there were just, there was just room to walk and uh, yeah, didn't, didn't also didn't fill me full of confidence, but some of the staging that Nicole did, man, just made these episodes. And of course, you know, as we talked about too, a lot of this is made for TV stuff. Sure. 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 Doesn't apply in the real world. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. I'm in the mood for a little avocado toast today, so I'm going to say avocado toast. Oh, nice. To go with your expensive wedding? Yeah. How about avocado toast at the expensive wedding? Eh, might be a little over the top. Might be. You want more time for activities like that, and that's why Haven Life has made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now, and you'll get a free quote. Their application is simple. It's online. You get instant coverage decision, affordable prices, and of course, they're owned by Mass Mutual, which is over 160 years old, so you have the backing of a company that's been there. Today, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline to Adam. Say hi, Adam. Hi, Joe and OG. I have a question about the best way to think about generating retirement income down the road from our investments. My wife and I are fortunate to have built a substantial portfolio of assets. Most of this is invested roughly 90% in equities and 10% in bonds. The majority of the assets are in taxable accounts, although we do have 401ks and a rollover IRA. We both have W-2 jobs, but expect to retire and explore other interests in the next several years. We are believers in investing simplicity, and the equities in the taxable accounts are split roughly 70-30 between total market index and total international index funds. The bonds reside in our 401ks and the IRA in order to defer the ordinary income tax. My question is this. 
We live a lifestyle well below our means and plan to leave a substantial portion of our assets to our kids. This explains why we continue to overweight our portfolio to equities. As you've discussed, we're investing not for our own time horizon, but for future generations. But when we both leave our W-2 jobs, we'll need to replace that income. Is the best approach to generate that income by moving more of our assets into bonds and living off those crappy bond returns to move more of our equities to dividend generating funds and live off those dividends or to simply begin to sell off equities as needed to replace our W-2 income? My guess is the latter, but I like the opinion of two semi-experienced podcast hosts. There are obviously tax consequences to consider in each scenario as well. Thanks for your help. Hey, Adam, thanks a ton for that question. And he's got this dilemma. And most people think that you have to create this engine that just throws off, right? This pile of money that throws off money. And that might not be the only way to get it done. Yeah, I would never do option one, which was convert long-term stuff into fixed income. Because no matter the rate, even if it was a great rate, you're still going to lose money to inflation over time. And you know you lose that capital appreciation ability. Notwithstanding, the asset allocation probably needs a little bit of work, but but let's just assume that it's fine. I would take the money out the same way that you put the money in. People get confused. They look at they look at this concept of income, like you said, and go, "Well, if it doesn't if it doesn't send me a check, then it's not income." It's like, well, think about it from the company perspective. Let's say that you own two different stocks. You own Apple and you own uh, Johnson and Johnson. I'm just making it up. And both of them are completely substantially different businesses, right? But they both are in business to do one thing, which is to generate profits for their shareholders. That's that's it. That's the only reason. And they do it in different ways. And so they make their profits. And at the end of the year or at the end of the quarter, companies have to decide what to do with that profit money. You know, they have to decide, uh, you know, do we distribute that to our shareholders? Do we share some of this profit in terms of cash? Or do we want to keep the money in our accounts and uh, do other things with it? Maybe buy back our own stock, or uh, which is controversial these days, or build a new building, or create a new product, or you know, spend money on research to you know design the next thing, or whatever it is. So you've got to decide as a company what you want to do with your profits. But the thing is, is that whether you issue that money to shareholders in the form of cash dividends, or you reinvest it for the future, which is a de facto kind of capital appreciation type of uh, uh, use of it, it's still profit. It doesn't matter how it comes. And so it, it, it matters not whether or not you get you know, a high dividend portfolio or a low dividend portfolio, because generally speaking, your low dividend portfolio will offset that low dividend with a higher capital appreciation potential. And a low dividend, or I'm sorry, in a high dividend portfolio will have lower capital appreciation. They're kind of more tried and true steady as she goes type of stocks. That doesn't mean it's not going to have spikes along the way, but but that's kind of the way that you could think about it. So it's all rainfall. It all comes from the sky. It doesn't matter if it falls in the form of snow, ice, sleet, hail, rain, whatever. It's still liquid. So it doesn't matter. If you have stocks that are producing dividends and you want to uh, use that cash, fine. If you want to sell off some of your appreciated assets on a monthly basis to fund your lifestyle, fine. It's really going to be quite the same. So I would, uh, if you're into simplicity, I would uh, set up a systematic sell for the dollar amount that you need uh, net after taxes. Just like for the last, you know, 20 or 30 years, you put money into the market that way, you take the money out that way. Keep the allocation the same and off you go. 
But I would also be a little far out in the future though, right? I mean, you've talked about that in the past, about keeping, keeping a good amount of money in cash already. Well, he's got the 10% in fixed income, which is kind of the sort of the safety net money is how I would think about that. So, mm. you know, if you wanted to peel a little bit more off, you could, but that's probably more than fine, especially if you're like over that surf zone number. You know, he says, well, I've got enough money to live on. We live below our means. So let's just use some fake numbers here because he didn't give us any. But let's say that Adam has $5 million in his brokerage account and he needs to live on $100,000 a year. Well, that margin of safety, like how much money do you need to live on 100000 a year forever? Uh, number's probably somewhere in the $2.5 range. And he's at $5 million, so it doesn't matter. If the market goes down 20% from $5 million down to $4 million, so be it. Then he's really beyond sequence of return risk at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, if it's really close, he's like, well, I got, I need, you know, I need 100000 a year. I've got $3 million, not two and a half. Now you're a little bit closer and a 20% decline you know, might have a little bit more of an impact. This is an interesting thing too, Adam, because this solves your issue, which I think uh, OG's addressing. And this is why it's an, an individual thing, because you you said you want to keep it very simple. I think there's a lot of other ways to do this yeah. that are not nearly as simple. As an example, I was just looking at, at kind of a middle ground. You could stay in equities that pay a high dividend and at part of that be covered by dividend and still have some appreciation. Historically, those give you a lower standard deviation. So those assets bounce around a little less. So it's a little more secure over longer periods of time. But as an example, I was just looking at the Invesco REIT index, R-E-I-T, and, uh, you know, OG, a 4.66% yield it throws off. And it went, as you know, as everything is pretty much gone up 17 to 22 over the past, over the past year. So right. there's a middle ground, yeah. but the problem is that, and we had, um, we had Artem on from farm together. We've talked about farmland and how that can throw off, you know, quite a dividend. There's all kinds of different asset classes that he could put in there instead of just bonds but now he's getting into complexity. So to keep it simple, assuming that that asset allocation stays the same. Yeah, it's easy. Is there a better way? Probably. Is there an easier way? But Probably going not. to bonds is not that way though. I'm with you there. Yeah. I'm going going to bonds is not that way. Going to some alternative investments with part of the portfolio, maybe, but that brings in- Bitcoin. Because <laughs> that throws off a big dividend. The thing that I'd also caution people on, of course, again, goes back to our first headline today, which is know the game you're playing. When you start getting into some of these more complex strategies, you got to know that game. Yep. And he's into simplicity. So take the simplicity. There it is. Thanks for the question, Adam. You got a question for us? Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash voicemail. We'll be happy to answer your question next on the Haven Lifeline. Big thanks also to people who have uh, shared with others the magic of the Stacky Benjamins podcast. The frustrating thing for me is when I'm talking to people about money topics and their first reaction, OG, is, oh, that just seems so dry. I don't know how you do it. I always hope that we can bring those people into the fold to see how fun it is, at least, at least for you and I. Yeah, we think it's fun. So we, we think it's a, we think it's a good time. Here's a review from jacked and canned five stars. I love that name. Jacked and canned. love the show. Thanks for all the great content. The episodes are always fun and upbeat. Really love the different segments. Thanks for that review. Jacked and canned. mom has that on the fridge. 
all proud. Pretty soon, hopefully, she's going to be able to have the bridge club back over again. Oh, gee, she's got her, she's got her shots. Friends got their shots. Getting back in the game. Hopefully, we're all getting back in the game. Take like a couple tequila shots a week. Is that good? <laughs> she she tried to run that one by us. Hey, I'll do a tequila shot. Does that work? Is that it? And finally, if you're somebody who needs better financial planning help in your corner, and 2020 maybe was not the way that you want it to be, or you need to know the rules of the game, something we talked about a lot on today's show. OG and his team are taking clients. So head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG. That will lead you to their calendar and you can see how they can interface with you to make better decisions as we roar into the second quarter of 2021. Can you believe it's the second quarter already? Where does the time go? All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, you got it from here, my friend. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headline. If you can get your big expenses right, like your mortgage and transportation, then you can quite literally chop decades off your working years. Just make sure you save room for flexibility. Second, take a lesson from Sarah and Nicole from Marriage or Mortgage. We often judge people for spending a lot on weddings, but we also talk about building experiences. So it's not a bad thing to spend a lot on your wedding or mortgage if that's something your budget can handle and you understand the trade-offs. But the big lesson? It turns out that while the podcast about ho-hum conversation sounds fine, that reality show already exists. It's called Clubhouse. And yeah, that's not really radio I'm up for. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. To hear more from Sarah and Nicole, tune in to Netflix, where you can binge their show, Marriage or Mortgage. Now, apparently, they're spelling mortgage incorrectly. They, they, they squeezed a T in there. I'm uh, pretty sure it's M-O-R-G-A-G-E, but they got M-O-R-T-G-A. You'll find it. Go to Netflix. Do some searching. It's probably going to pop up on like one of the top shows, uh, but it, they squeeze the T in, and you know, you just, just look. Not everybody can have the crack team editors that we have here at SB Industries. This show is created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rudder Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at sbenjaminscast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and. I really thought doing these credits completely naked would have been a lot more fun than it actually was. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor.
Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. Hey, a couple quick things. Number one is we're going to go just a couple more weeks on our tenuous or awkward brushes with fame, not knowing who a celebrity is in the case of Carrie Underwood or meeting Josh Dumel and uh, pointing him to the right bag check area. Uh, whatever your story is, we got just a couple more weeks and then we will crown a winner on that. Also, I appeared on a few podcasts. I was on an Australian podcast, My Millennial Money with Glenn James, big show, answered Aussie financial questions. That was fun on Glenn's show. Also was on Budgets and Brews, number one, talking about Robin Hood and gamification. But then I was on a second episode where they do a brew a brew tasting. Nothing more fun, by the way. 11 a.m. on a Saturday, cracking open a beer and doing a taste test. But we had a hell of a time on Budgets and Brews. Those guys are a lot of fun. And uh, and I was going to do the same beers that they usually do. But then I thought it would be way more fun to do PBR. So we, we do a whole <laughs> taste test of Pabst Blue Ribbon. Nice. On budgets and budgets and brews. So I want to give a shout out to those guys. Uh, uh, you said you got something today. I was just kind of curious, a little, uh, I call that a little help from the audience. Uh, I was going to pull up some data here. I think I've mentioned to most people, or it's been on the show anyway, that I bought a couple of rental properties. And I got an unsolicited offer I was not planning on selling them, but I got an unsolicited offer. And I'm just kind of curious what everybody thinks about it. There's obviously much more into it than this, but let me just kind of give you a little bit of the background and then maybe we can we can uh, chat about it. So I own two buildings. One is a triplex and it's under construction. There's one tenant. Uh, the other two units have been under construction for about two years. The other is an 11-unit building all 11 are rented and occupied and we've had pretty good luck. I mean, we had some, you know, one person during COVID that had some issues that didn't pay, but we've been pretty, pretty fortunate. Anyways, all in both of these buildings were purchased for $340,000. So fact number one, 340,000, my down payment so far, or I guess not so far, I bought the first one in cash and then the other one with a little extra. So I'm in for about 50,000. Okay, that's my down payment. Over the last two and a half years, I think we've put another 50000 into it, and maybe 40000 So all in all, I'm in for ninety. I owe two seventy on the mortgage. And somebody offered five hundred k for both properties. So after taxes and all that sort of stuff, yeah, I kind of walk out of there with about two hundred grand, give or take. Basically, in for 100, out for 200. It's been 18 months. And I feel like this is one Bam. of those. <laughs> exactly. I feel like it's one of those, like, don't turn away free money, right? We talk about when it comes to our investment philosophy as it relates to, you know, asset class investing. Well, you and I were just talking about this offline. If you've been invested in small companies the last six months, it's up 58%. So that's not a normal return for a six-month period of time for anything. So you probably have some rebalancing. You probably have an overweighted portfolio in some way, shape, or form. So you have to do something with that, right? You have to, you have to capitalize that. 
And I kind of feel the same way when it comes to this other stuff. Like it's not normal to turn hundred grand into 200 grand in 18 months. So it's almost like you should just take the money. But from the investment side of it, I was thinking about it like a 15 year time frame. I was thinking, okay, in 15 years, if I could be even money, the house will be, the houses will be paid off by then at least, if not sooner. If at the end of the 15 year period, it's a completely paid for asset, it's kicking off cash flow, you know, that's probably in the $4,000 a month range at that point. That's a pretty good deal too. So do I take the bird in the hand or the proverbial two in the bush? And so that's my question to the audience. I'll give you my two cents. I think this has more to do with what you're going to do with the money than well, it does with... That's the problem. I don't have a place for it. You yeah. know, I mean, obviously I have the place for it. I just didn't put it in the investment account, you know, but, but yeah, I am concerned about that because if I don't have a place for money, sometimes I end up, uh, what's the word? Oh yeah. Blowing it. <laughs> that's, that's everybody. Yeah, true. Well, not everybody, everybody, but that's a lot of people. So love to hear people's thoughts. Send them to us. Joe at stackingbenjamins.com. Or do you want it to go right to OG at stackingbenjamins.com? Let's do that. Either or. Yeah. De- declutter your inbox. Send them to me. OG at Stacking Benjamins. That's a great idea. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.